0: Good morning, Trinity Church. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, Pastor Doug was at a uh, funeral service uh, for family across the country, and so he was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it home. So I don't know if he made it home yet, but he should be here today if he did. But he asked me to uh, fill in, and I'm honored to do that. Um, I was so excited as I was thinking of just the opportunity to open God's Word And just like we've spent time praising God, we get to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's what the psalmist David said was his one thing, one thing that his heart desired was to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to dwell in his house all the days of his life, to be with God's people, singing his praises, meditating on his word. And uh, that's what we get to do. I'm so thankful for our worship team in that time of worship that we were able to uh, have together. And as we continue to worship, I was thinking of something that one of our former pastors, Gary Enrig, used to say, and it really struck me. He used to say this, whatever comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And the beauty of what we do when we come to sing praises and to be in the Word together is it shapes how we think about God. And that's so important because it, it, it shapes the way that we approach God and it shapes the way, ultimately, that we worship God. Every moment of our lives, not just when we're gathered with His people on a Sunday morning, and the, we're going to gaze upon an area of God's beauty that n- not everybody maybe thinks is beautiful. Today, we're going to be looking at the justice of God, the attribute that God is a just God. And we're in this middle of this uh, conversation between God and his people. Malachi records that for us, and um, God is, is kind of bringing some pretty heavy accusations against his people, and they're kind of dumbfounded. They're coming back to him, and they're saying, they're, they're asking, how have you loved us? Kind of questioning God's love. And they're saying, how have we despised your name? Like, we're not, we're not guilty here. How have, we, how have we despised your name? And then, why don't you accept our offerings? Those are the kind of things that they've been saying. You know, God wants this intense, devoted relationship, this close relationship with his people, and quite frankly, they're just passive. They're passive, and, and he's just trying to lean in and just, just get their attention, and they're not paying attention. You guys, as we look into this today, I don't know where you're at with your, in your faith journey, but I believe that what we're looking at today is really critical. And it's, it's, it's something that to understand and, and to see correctly and think correctly about God as the God of justice is, is going to change the way we view Him. And, and all of us, whether we've been following the Lord for a long time or we're not even sure we believe, we all need to understand this. And it's gonna, I, I really believe that God wants to speak to us today through this passage. So God's calling out their sin. Right? He is he has this desire that they would repent, that they would return to him, that they would live as his holy people as a testimony to the nations of his greatness. That's his purpose for his people is to be a blessing to the entire world and he's 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 calling them back to that, but instead, they point the finger at others and ultimately at God with another question today. Evidently, they completely ignore their own sin, right? And they call on God to judge the people around them for their sins. Do you struggle with that sometimes? Sometimes. I do. I'm guilty. Perhaps, like me, you see the moral decay in a culture around us. Who sees that? (laughs) Right? We see it. It just seems like it's amplified over these last years and are in our cities and in our governments, in businesses, in schools, in the media, in our families. And in our churches, immorality is celebrated. Worldliness is accepted as the norm. Lying is okay. It's hard to know what's true these days. The best word to describe the state that we're in is lawlessness. We just live in a time of lawlessness. And so we can relate to the people of Israel saying, God, where are you? Are you going to step in and fix these problems? And that's exactly how the people of his day were feeling about their situation. The problem is we can tend to obsess about all of this and wish God would clean things up when what God's saying is, I want to start with you. We can easily listen to a sermon and think about how we would apply that to other people around us and ignore the way that God may be asking us to apply it to our own lives. What does God have to say about this? Well. He has a lot to say about it. But before we open his word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here today and we're so blessed to be alive, to have breath in our lungs, to be able to gather freely, to sing your praises, to connect with one another in fellowship, and to gaze upon your beauty. Would you reveal the beauty of who you are in so many ways god but even as we just spotlight and focus in on you as the god of justice would you reveal who you are affect our hearts lord in a greater love for you and reveal as the as james said lord that the, the word of god reveals ourselves help us to look into the mirror And see what you're showing us about ourselves and change us so that we might be more pleasing to you. Thank you for doing that today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our conversation with God today, here's the word for the problem that we're seeing. Self-righteousness. Isn't that what it is? Self-righteousness kind of ignores this junk in our own lives because we're more obsessed about what's going on around us. And that's exact problem, the nation of Israel. And if we are honest, we have that problem too at times. And so God's going to speak to this. And he's going to speak to us in the book of Malachi. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. We've been in this for a number of weeks now. And we're in the very last verse of chapter 2. Verse 17, that's where we're going to pick up today. So please turn there together if you have your Bibles. So Malachi is speaking on behalf of the Lord. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So notice that what wearies the Lord is their words. It's what they're saying. It's how they're talking. It's these questions that they've been asking. It's the way they're thinking that that Malachi is revealing to them. Have you ever been wearied by someone's words? A conspiracy theorist? Sure of the way they see it, it's the right way and they're constantly trying to get you to see it their way? Or maybe it's the person that you meet with that only talks about themselves. They go on and on and they're really not listening to you. They're not asking questions. They're just consumed with their own life and talking about themselves. And I think these kind of things are what's going on. And God says, you're not listening to me, and you're misrepresenting me with your words. They're wrong, and mistaken words come from mistaken thoughts, don't they? We're not thinking the right way when we're saying things that aren't true, And so he's going after their understanding, the way they're thinking. Their people are accusing God of being passive and absent, isn't he? Aren't they? Right? They're saying, you're not paying attention to the people who are doing wrong. In fact, it looks like you're pleased with them because you're not stepping in and judging them. And so they're calling for the God of justice because they want him to step in and Fix the problem and take those people out. So what does God have to say to us when we question his justice like that? Well, the first thing that he says is he reveals his plan to save his people from his judgment. They're asking for him to judge and he's gonna surprise them by saying, That's not my first move. So let's take a look. God begins to speak now in in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is God speaking through Malachi to his people. He says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, I'm not passive, I'm coming. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He's going to sit as a refiner and he's purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi. And refine them like gold and silver. And then they'll bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. As in the days of old and as in the former years. So these people of Israel who are self-righteous, they're, they're deaf to this message of God that he's trying to speak to them through Malachi. Right? They're looking at the people around them, saying, where's God the judge? Where are you, God? Well, the very thing he's trying to do is reveal their own sin. And they're ignoring it. They're ignoring him. And so how's God going to respond? Is he going to drop the hammer, give them what they deserve? All right, you want God the judge? Here I come. No. God doesn't do that because judgment is not his first move. Mercy is. Love is. Forgiveness is his first move. And so what he's going to reveal is his future plan to save his people from their sins. And so he's going to talk about two messengers... The messenger who's going to prepare the way for him to come. And the messenger of the covenant. And so we get to look at these two messengers. And this is really exciting. Because this is the heart of God. It's as if he's saying, you're not ready for the God of justice. So I'm going to send you somebody to prepare the way. And those of us on this side of the cross know that the, the person who prepared the way for Jesus was John the Baptist. So he is prophesying, I'm gonna send a messenger to actually get you ready, get people ready for the God of justice. And so when we, uh, we, we're gonna take a look real quickly because we are on this side of the cross at what John the Baptist taught. And Jesus, by the way, in Matthew 11 refers to this passage and he's talking about John the Baptist and saying it, this was fulfilled in John the Baptist. So we know that this is talking about John the Baptist because Jesus told us it is. It's also a parallel prophecy in Isaiah 40, verse 3, right, about preparing the way of the Lord, making the path straight for the coming of Messiah. And this prophecy sustained the faith and the practice of the people of Israel between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the coming of Jesus. 430 years. This sustained their faith. This was what they were looking forward to. And so when Messiah, when John the Baptist showed up, there were people expecting him because they were remembering, oh, this is what God's going to do. So when John enters the scene, how does he prepare the way? All four gospel writers give ample space and time at the beginning to talk about John the Baptist. He's that significant, and it's because of this. He had a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was the way that John the Baptist prepared the way, and we know that baptism was a symbol of this process. John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus. He's the one who's going to forgive your sins. And baptism was this beautiful symbol of this cleansing work of God in the lives of those who believe. And it still is today. It, literally today. We get to go up to the lake and we get to hear the testimonies and see people saying, this is what God has done in my life. He's cleansed me from my sin through Jesus. So the people are confessing their sins. We get to witness these baptisms. But it makes me wonder, how did the people in Malachi's time hear this? They had no clue that, John the, that, that this was about John the Baptist. So did those people get God's heart that he was bringing in this this word? Did they realize God's calling for repentance? Where's repentance in Malachi? Well, two verses after our time today, repentance shows up. So Pastor Doug is going to bring us next week into this passage that talks about repentance. But I want you to take a sneak preview because it is in our passage this is the way that God prepares his people. So take a look on the screen. This is verse 7. He, Malachi says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. This is God speaking. You guys are guilty. Return to me. And I will return to you. That is repentance. It's turning away from sin, and it's turning toward God. And that's what God's inviting his people to do. And ultimately, that's what his messenger, John the Baptist, invited people to do. The heart of God has not changed. This has always been his heart. As much as they were wearying him with their words and their sin... God's heart longed for them to repent and to return to him so that they wouldn't experience his judgment. It's the same for us. Repentance is going to be a a big takeaway today, so be prepared. We're going to come back at the end of the service and think about that. This is the invitation through the one who prepared the way. But right now, the focus is not on God's judgment because that's not his first move. It's on God's mercy. And now we get to gaze deeply into the beauty of the Lord because we're going to move away from the messenger who prepared the way to the one who came, Jesus. And so um, notice that the one who is coming according to God is himself. You see that? The messenger is going to be prepare the way for me, he says. I'm coming. God the judge is coming. Yes, he uses the phrase, the Lord will come into his temple, right? The Lord is not Yahweh, it's Adonai. But that phrase, the Lord, is always also used of God. And so it's like he gives space for what we know as the mystery of the Trinity, that God is one God in three persons God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Take a look at, at this verse, verse, verse uh, 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi, or God, calls Jesus the messenger of the covenant. And these, all, all of these books of prophecy were kind of um, stacking up here in this period of Israel's history. So they had just had Ezekiel telling them about the new covenant. They had had Jeremiah telling them about the new covenant, and here Malachi is saying, I'm sending the messenger of that covenant, and here's what, if they were listening, they would have known, that the new covenant is where God's people will know him. They will call him their God, and he will call them his people. Beautiful relationship. He says, I'm gonna put my law on their hearts, So they're going to want to obey me, and they're going to be enabled to obey me because I'm going to give them my Holy Spirit. It's this beautiful new covenant that we live in now because of Jesus. And Jesus is the messenger of that covenant. So what is his work? If John the Baptist is preparing the way for the Lord, what's the Lord's work? And if you look in our passage today, you're going to see that He purifies and he cleanses his people so that they can offer acceptable sacrifices that he will be pleased with. So the ministry of Jesus is the ministry of cleansing and forgiveness of sins and purifying his people, making his people holy. That's the ministry of Jesus. And here it is in Malachi 3 verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness. To the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. I want to draw your attention to the prominence of this idea of their offerings. It is the big idea of Malachi. It's where he's going to go next week when we look at the next passage. And that is the problem with the nation of Israel. He says, your worship stinks. It's not acceptable to me because of the way you're living. So the problem is their worship. It's their sacrifices, their offerings. So I want to just look and remind you where we've been. I, here's a little chart. Here are the things that God has pointed out on the screens. Right? So the problem is their worship in one eight. They're giving less than the best. They're polluted offerings. They're not, they're not concerned that they're honoring him. In 2.8, there's corrupted living and teaching. They're not following the way. And, and this is specifically the leaders. It's, the, it's, the, it's their priests who are doing this. So how are the people going to do it right if the, their leaders are not doing it right? And then in 2.10... He says you're being faithless to one another, and he's specifically calling out their marriage. They're not marrying godly people like God said they should, and when they are married, they're forsaking their covenant and they're getting divorced with no reason. And then a little sneak preview to next week. They're withholding what rightly belongs to God. So these are the sins that are making their worship not acceptable to God. And that's the problem. And this is the Lord's ministry. It's to purify and cleanse his people. So verse 2 says he's like a refiner's fire and like Fuller's soap. So we've got this simile. And Fuller is simply someone who's a launderer. How many launderers do we have in the room today? Right? We had a huge pile of laundry this weekend. Now the thing is we've got washing machines, praise the Lord. But the launderers of that day, it was a hard job. It took a lot of patience, right? They were taking the wool from the sheep. It was dirty. It it was stained and not, not its true color. And and they're taking time to scrub and, and clean it and and Uh, the commentators say they would do that outside the camp because it was a stinky process. So that's what a launderer did. And then the purifier of his people was kind of doing the same thing but using fire, right, to take these precious metals and and take them from this ugly lump-looking thing, making them beautiful. And here's the thing, is in this passage you need to know um, two things. First of all, this took a lot of patience, right? This was a long process. This purifying, cleansing thing took a while. And we see this image of the Lord sitting. Isn't that interesting? He's sitting, doing his work of refining. And then the second thing is he says he's refining silver. And the unique thing about silver, and this, this is from commentaries, the unique thing about silver is that as that process goes, the dross begins to fade away, and what ends up is you end up with this pure, beautiful silver. And, and the, the refiner knows he's done when he can see his reflection in it. When it shines and sparkles, he can see. It's like a mirror. Think about that for a minute. So here's a description of this work from a commentator. Furthermore, what Malachi goes on to describe is this process of purification and sanctification. That's the biblical word for what's going on here. For he will be like a refiner's fire or launderer's soap. But get this, refinerers and launderers do not destroy. They purify. This is fulfilled in what Christ does. And then he quotes Ephesians 5. He loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without wrinkle or any blemish but holy and blameless that's the ministry of jesus by giving up himself for us he makes his church holy holy The commentator referred to Zechariah 13.1. I want to look at that quickly because this is the ministry of the messenger of the covenant. Zechariah 13.1 follows uh, chapter 12 where where Zechariah is saying, here's how Jesus is going to do this. He says, the people are going to look on him who they have pierced and they're going to grieve. So he's talking about the cross. And then in 13.1, he talks about what the cross accompli- will accomplish. Here it is on the screens. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. That's the ministry of the messenger of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it through his death on the cross. So God's heart is not to judge. His first move is not to judge. It's to save his people by cleansing them from their sins. And he does this through the cross. Jesus clarified this in his ministry, that his ministry was not to judge. That wasn't the first move. That's not why he came the first time. And I'd like to take a brief look at the gospel because it is glorious and beautiful. And that's what, that's what this passage is pointing forward to. And this is the heart of God. If we think that God delights in judgment, that he's waiting for us to mess up and he's gonna sock it to us, we have got him all wrong. That is not who God is. And this is what is revealed in the scriptures, that God's first move is to cleanse and purify his people so that they don't have to face him as their judge. So take a look at John three sixteen. You know this. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's the word Judge. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Listen to what Paul has to say in Titus 2 about the ministry of Jesus For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here it is who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. One more. 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the apostle Peter mentions that when we come to Jesus, we're like living stones being built into this spiritual house, this family of God to be a holy priesthood. Every one of us ministers with access to come to God with our offerings. We don't have to go through a a priest anymore. Each one of us is a minister and a messenger and we offer these sacrifices and they're acceptable to God because God, through Jesus, fixes the worship problem. Right? He fixes the problem of sin so that now our our worship is acceptable to him. You know, there's this picture of Jesus coming into the temple at the beginning of his reign, of his time, and at the end of his time, right before the cross. Two times we see Jesus going into his temple and cleaning it up. Right, That's the God of justice coming in, purifying, cleansing. And we also see at the end of his time, it was the religious leaders who were self-righteous. that he's, he's saying, you guys are hypocrites. You're teaching things and you're not doing them yourselves. There's sin in your lives. In his mercy, he's calling those leaders out. So we see God clearing the temple. We see God purifying his, the priests. But now we see that his ultimate plan was to make his people a holy priesthood. That you and I are these priests who can come into his presence now through Christ and offer him beautiful sacrifices because we've been made holy, we've been cleansed. So one last passage before we get back. What type of offerings might we bring to God then you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in view of God's mercy, we offer everything. We, these songs that we sang today were beautiful. Christ, be magnified in me. Take my life. Take, take all of me. We can sing that knowing it's acceptable to God when he's purified us and and dealt we've dealt with the sin problem in our lives i want to jump back to the people in malachi's time they didn't know all these details of what god was doing by sending john the baptist and sending jesus how did they hear this message and how should we what should we do about this what did they what should they do about it if they were listening then they heard that God's first move was not to judge. It was to purify and to cleanse them so that they might offer righteous offerings. God was saying, I'm gonna fix the problem with your offerings by cleansing you and purifying you. He's gonna make a way for them back to a relationship with him. He's gonna say in the next few verses, return to me and I'll return to you. He's going to say a lot more beautiful things as we come to the end of Malachi. But before he says that, he is going to affirm that he is going to come as the righteous judge. So the first way that God responds to their accusations, where is the judge, is by saying, you're not ready. And my first move isn't to judge, it's to cleanse and purify And he shows how he's going to do that through the messengers, ultimately through Jesus. But the second way he responds is God says he will judge those who do not fear him. He will judge those. But maybe as a surprise, it begins with them. That's not probably what they wanted to hear. Take a look at it in Malachi 3 verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God gives them assurance, I will judge, but it's you that I'm going to start with. We need to understand the nature of that judgment as we continue to read on. But this should have rattled them out of this pointing fingers, out of this self-righteousness. So God gives a list of those whom he'll judge Lists like this exist all over the Bible, all the way back to the law. God said, you will not treat people this way. You will not treat me this way. This is not who I've designed my holy people to be. And the prophets are, are bringing these same sins forward. I just read that this morning in Zechariah. He named these same sins. These were the sins of Israel. And notice that almost all of these categories right, are sins that do incredible harm to others. The heart of God grieves when his people hurt other people, and sin does that. So here's the four categories, sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and oppressors. God cares deeply about the way we treat one another and specifically about how we treat those who are the most vulnerable. Half of the sins of Israel are the way they're treating those people that they're probably pointing fingers at. Isn't that crazy? They're oppressing them. The laborer, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner so, God's law had much to say about how his people should treat the most vulnerable, reflecting his heart of love and compassion and mercy. But he summarizes this with a catch all statement, and he says, All of these people are those who do not fear me. We were talking to our kids this week about fearing God because we're studying um, with, uh, Proverbs. Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And we asked that question, and here's kind of what they came up with is it means to pay attention to God, um, to, to look up to Him and, and, and to kind of have a little bit of fear in your heart because He's awesome. That is what fear of the Lord is. It's a, it's a sense of awe at the, the, who God is, both His mercy and His judgment. And as a result, what the Bible teaches is that those who fear him want to follow his commands. They want to walk in his ways. That's what's on their heart, is to be his people and live like he he created us to live. And he's saying, I'm going to judge people who aren't fearing me. Again, God's first move is to purify and cleanse his people to save them from final judgment. And it seems that even here, I think this is what he's doing. I don't think he's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna destroy you. And here's why. Look at the next verse, verse six. He says this For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So God's way of judgment is this refining, purifying process so that his people would be holy. There's affliction that comes in that, but God's heart is not to destroy his people. It's to cleanse his people. It's always been his heart. It's his heart today, and it was his heart for the nation of Israel back in Malachi's time. I wonder if you might be feeling the refining and cleansing process in your life right now. Do you feel the heat of the fire, that refining fire? It's not a comfortable process when when God comes alongside and, and we realize, oh, there's a part of my life that's not right, there's sin in my life. Maybe you're feeling that refining process do you realize it comes from the compassion and the grace of God who seeks to forgive and to cleanse? While salvation from God's judgment is immediate when we turn to Jesus and when we accept that his sacrifice on the cross cleansed us from our sins, while that's immediate, there is a sense that the process of refining is, as we have noted, long. But the refiner knows it's done when the dross fades away and he sees his reflection clearly in the finished product. God intends for us to look and to live like Jesus. That's what the refining process is doing. That's what the laundering process is doing. Jesus, in his mercy, does this work. We know by giving us his Holy Spirit, the new covenant, right? We have the Holy Spirit. That was John the Baptist's message. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And we know the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. The Bible calls the refining process sanctification. Everybody who is a believer in Jesus has been made holy, but is in this process of living holy. So Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is the truth. Jesus prayed that, that his word is in part what sanctifies us. So today, he may be revealing that you and I have a problem with self-righteousness. We're pointing the finger at others when what he wants is to call us to account to whatever that thing is in your life that he's trying to polish, to look more like him. The Lord says he disciplines those whom he loves. And our only right response is repentance. That is the way that God cleanses us. Listen to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in in closing today, what about those who refuse to repent? Since we're talking about the God of justice, justice is not his first response. Mercy is, but it is his last response. If you read the scriptures, it's all over the place, starting with Jesus, all the Old Testament, Jesus confirmed it, all of the apostles, and the book of Revelation ends with the judgment of God on evil and sin. He would not be loving if he didn't judge evil. And that is the way it ends for those who do not repent. And that's a pretty serious thing. The question earlier in our text, right, in verse 2, is who can stand when he appears? Talking about probably the second coming of Jesus. And the answer is no one. No one can stand. No one is righteous on their own unless we're refined and cleansed by God himself. We cannot stand before the God of justice on our own merit. That's the gospel. And it's a beautiful message that judgment is not his first act. Mercy is. Forgiveness is. But judgment is his last act. So in his first coming, he came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who said that? Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, right? That's his message. Here he is. But when he comes the second time, he comes as the Lion of Judah, fierce to judge those who have rejected him and who do evil. His judgment will be swift. It will be severe. There are many places that I debated reading, but I want to read one last verse from Thessalonians, and here's why. The Thessalonians... We're going through incredible suffering, affliction at the hand of evil people, okay? And Paul starts 2 Thessalonians saying, I am so proud of you. I'm proud of your steadfastness. I'm proud of your faith that that stayed strong during the affliction that you're facing from these outside people who are persecuting you, afflicting you. And this is what he says. Listen for the mercy and the judgment of God in this. He says, This is evidence of a righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. There's the God of justice. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. There's the God of mercy when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels at the end. It's not right now. We have to endure suffering from the hands of evil people, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in all his saints, holy people, and to be marveled at among those who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So there are two sides of the coin of the beauty of God the side of his mercy and his first act against injustice and evil. But there is the second side of the coin and that is his judgment. And he is both merciful and he is just in perfect, perfection. Both are part of the plan that God declared and designed and, and, and told to his people through Malachi But salvation is his first move in this age that we're living in. God is patiently refining and purifying his church to be that radiant bride, calling those of us who know, love, and follow him to do that through the Holy Spirit. What this world needs right now is not God's judgment but God's holy people to live as his holy people. That's the message of Malachi. Friends in this room who already belong to Jesus, let's stop pointing the finger at all the lawlessness around us. It's there and it's overwhelming. But let's let God bring to attention the sin in our lives that's not giving us the proper witness that's not giving us the love in his heart for people. Let him bring those things to attention and refine and cleanse us. Our invitation is to repentance, returning to our God, confessing our sin. And I wanna give a moment here at the end of the service just to do that in quietness before the worship team comes back. But to those of you who don't belong to Jesus, His heart is to cleanse you from your sin. That is the first move of God, through repentance, by believing in Jesus. To reject Jesus is to accept eternal punishment away from the presence of the Lord forever. It's very clear in the scriptures. But that's not God's heart. His heart is for you. The message has always been When we hear the gospel, repent and believe. And that's the message that I want to charge you with today. If you've never repented and believed in Jesus. So I'm going to give you just a few seconds, and then I'll pray to close our time together. Father, we come to you remembering the very first words you spoke in this book of Malachi. I have loved you. Thank you for revealing to us today your heart of love and mercy through sending Jesus, Lord, to take care of our sin problem and giving us the Holy Spirit and your word to continue to refine and purify us and make us a beautiful bride. Pray that that would be true of us here at Trinity Church, that we would cooperate, that we would delight in you and fear you, delight in following you. Father, I pray for those who've those of us, all of us who've heard this message today, would you help us, as James said, to, as we look into the mirror and see our reflection, not to ignore what we've seen, but to be doers of your word. So, God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of who you are as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.